friends and welcome to Bedtime Stories with Christine. In this new series I'll be reading the very old story called A Little Princess by Frances Hodgkin Burnett. Tonight we will start with Chapter 1, Sarah. Once on a dark winter's day, when the yellow fog hung so thick and heavy in the streets of London that the lamps were lighted and the shop windows blazed with gas as they do at night, an odd-looking little girl sat in a cab with her father and was driven rather slowly through the big thoroughfares. She sat with her feet tucked under her and leaned against her father who held out his arm and she stared out the window at the passing people with a strange old-fashioned thoughtfulness in her big eyes. She was such a little girl that one did not expect to see such a look on her small face. It would have been an old look for a child of 12, and Sarah Crewe was only seven. The fact was, however, that she always was dreaming and thinking odd things and could not herself remember any time when she had not been thinking things about grown-up people and the world that they belonged to. She felt as if she had lived a long, long time. At this moment, she was remembering the voyage she had just made from Bombay with her father, Captain Crewe. She was thinking of the big ship, of the last car passing silently to and fro on it, of the children playing about on the hot deck, and of some young officers' wives who used to try to make her talk to them and laugh at the things that she said. Principally, she was thinking of what a strange thing it was at that one time, one was in India in the blazing sun, and then in the middle of the ocean, and then driving in a strange vehicle through strange streets where the day was as dark as the night. She found this so puzzling that she moved closer to her father. Papa, she said in a low, mysterious little voice, which was almost a whisper. Papa. What is it, darling? Captain Crewe answered, holding her closer and looking down into her face. What is Sarah thinking of? Is this the place? Sarah whispered, cuddling still closer to him. Is it, Papa? Yes, little Sarah, it is. We have reached it at last. And though she was only seven years old, she knew that he felt sad when he said it. It seemed to her many years since he had begun to prepare her mind for the place, as she always called it. Her mother had died when she was born, and so she had never known nor missed her. Her young, handsome, rich, petting father seemed to be the only relation she had in the whole world. They had always played together and been fond of each other. She only knew he was rich because she had heard people say so when they thought she was not listening, and she had also heard them say that when she grew up she would be rich too. She did not know all the things about being rich. She had always lived in a beautiful bungalow and had been used to seeing many servants who made salams to her and called her Missy Sahab and gave her her own way in everything. She had had toys and pets and an ayah who worshipped her and she had gradually learned that people who were rich had these things. That, however, was all she knew about it. During her short life, only one thing had troubled her and that thing was the place she was to be taken to someday. The climate of India was very bad for children and as soon as possible they were sent away from it, generally to England and to school. She had seen other children go away and had heard their fathers and mothers talk about the letters that they received from them. 
She had known that she would be obliged to go also, and though sometimes her father's stories of the voyage and the new country had attracted her, she had been troubled by the thought that he could not stay with her. Couldn't you go to that place with me, Papa? She had asked when she was five years old. Couldn't you go to school too? I would help you with your lessons. But you will not have to stay for very long time, little Sarah, he had always said. You will go to a nice house where there will be lots of little girls and you will all play together and I will send you plenty of books and you will grow so fast that it will seem scarcely a year before you are big enough and clever enough to come back and take care of Papa. She had liked to think of that. To keep the house with her father, to ride with him and to sit at the head of his table when he had dinner parties, to talk to him and read his books. Well, that would be what she would like most in the world. And if one must go away to the place in England to attain it, she must make up her mind to go. She did not care very much for other little girls, but if she had plenty of books, she could console herself. She liked books more than anything else and was in fact always inventing stories of beautiful things and telling them to herself. Sometimes she had told them to her father and he had liked them as much as she did. Well, Papa, she said softly, if we are here, I suppose we must be resigned. He laughed at her old-fashioned speech and kissed her. She was really not at all resigned himself, though he knew he must keep that a secret. His quaint little Sarah had been a great companion to him and he felt he should be a lonely fellow when, on his return to India, he went to his bungalow knowing he need not expect to see the small figure in its white frock coming forward to meet him. So he held her very closely in his arms as the cab rolled into the big dull square in which stood the house, in which was their destination. It was a big, dull brick house, exactly like all the others in its row but that on the front door there shone a brass plate on which was engraved in black letters, Miss Minchin, Select Seminary for Young Ladies. Here we are, Sarah, said Captain Crewe, making his voice sound as cheerful as possible. Then he lifted her out of the cab and they mounted the steps and rang the bell. Sarah often thought awkward, oh, Sarah often thought afterwards that the house was somewhat exactly like Miss Minchin. It was respectable and well furnished, but everything in it was ugly, and the very armchairs seemed to have hard bones in them. In the hall, everything was hard and polished. Even the red cheeks of the moon face on the wall, tall clock in the corner, had severe varnished look. The drawing room into which was, uh, they were ushered was covered by a carpet with a square pattern upon it. The chairs were square, and a heavy marble timepiece stood upon the heavy marble mantel. As she sat down in one of the stiff mahogany chairs, Sarah cast one of her quick looks about her. I don't like it, Papa, she said, but then I dare say soldiers, even brave ones, don't really like going into battle. Captain Crewe laughed outright at this. He was young and full of fun and he never tired of hearing Sarah's strange speeches. Oh, little Sarah, he said, what shall I do when I have no one to say solemn things to me? No one else is quite as solemn as you. But why do solemn things make you laugh so? inquired Sarah. Because you are such fun when you say them, he answered, laughing still more. And then suddenly he swept her into his arms and kissed her very hard, stopping laughing all at once. 
and looking almost as if tears had come into his eyes. It was just then that Miss Minchin entered the room. She was very like her house. Sarah felt tall and dull and respectable and ugly. She had large, cold, fishy eyes and a large, cold, fishy smile. It spread itself into a very large smile when she saw Sarah and Captain Crewe. She had heard a great many desirable things of the young soldier from the lady who had recommended her school to him. Among other things, she heard that he was a rich father who was willing to spend a great deal of money on his little daughter. Oh, it will be a great privilege to have charge of such a beautiful and promising child, Captain Crewe, she said, taking Sarah's hand and stroking it. Lady Meredith has told me of her unusual cleverness. A clever child is a great treasure in an establishment like mine. Sarah stood quietly with her eyes fixed upon Miss Minchin's face. She was thinking something odd, as usual. Why does she say I am a beautiful child, she was thinking. I am not beautiful at all. Colonel Granger's little girl, Isabel, is beautiful. She has dimples and rose-coloured cheeks and long hair the colour of gold. I have short black hair and green eyes. Besides which, I'm a thin child and not, a f- I'm not fair in the least. I'm one of the ugliest children I ever saw. And she is beginning by telling a story. She was, however, mistaken in thinking that she was an ugly child. She was not in the least like Isabel Grange, who had been the beauty of the regiment, but she had an odd charm of her own. She was a slim, subtle creature, rather tall for her age, and had an intense, attractive little face. Her hair was heavy and quite black and only curled at the tips. Her eyes were greenish-grey, it is true, but they were big, wonderful eyes with long black lashes, and though she herself did not like the colour of them, many other people did. Still, she was very firm in her belief that she was an ugly little girl and she was not at all elated by Miss Minchin's flattery. I should be telling a story if she said she was beautiful, she thought, and I should know I was telling a story. I believe I am as ugly as she is, in my way. What did she say that for? After she had known Miss Minchin longer, she learned why she had said it. She discovered that she said the same thing to each papa and mamma who brought a child to her school. Sarah stood near her father and listened while he and Miss Minchin talked. She had been brought to the seminary because Lady Meredith's two little girls had been educated there and Captain Crewe had a great respect for Lady Meredith's experience. Sarah was to be what was known as a parlour boarder and she was to enjoy even greater privileges than parlour boarders usually did. She was to have a pretty bedroom and sitting room of her own and she was to have a pony and a carriage and a maid to take place of the ayah who had been her nurse in India. I am not in the least bit anxious about her education, Captain Crewe said with his laugh as he held Sarah's hand and patted it. The difficulty will be to keep her from learning too fast and too much. She's always sitting with her little nose buried into those books. She doesn't read them, Miss Minchin. She gobbles them as if they were a little wolf instead of a little girl. She's always starving for new books to gobble and she wants grown-up books too. Great big fat ones, French and German as well as English, history and biography and poets and all sorts of things. Drag her away from her books when she reads too much. Make her ride her pony in the row or go out and buy a new doll. She ought to play more with dolls. Papa, said Sarah. 
You see, if I went out and bought a new doll, every few days I should have more than I could be fond of. Dolls ought to be intimate friends. Emily is going to be my intimate friend. Captain Crewe looked at Miss Minchin and Miss Minchin looked at Captain Crewe. Who was Emily? she inquired. Tell her, Sarah, Captain Crewe said, smiling. Sarah's green, green, grey eyes looked very solemn and quite soft as she answered. Oh, she's a doll I haven't got yet, she said. She is a doll Papa is going to buy for me. We're going out together to find her. I have called her Emily. She's going to be my friend when Papa is gone. I want her to talk. I want to talk to her about him. Miss Minchin's large, fishy smile became very flattering indeed. What an original child, she said. What a darling little creature. Yes, said Captain Crewe, drawing Sarah close. She is a darling little creature. Take great care of her for me, Miss Minchin. Sarah stayed with her father at his hotel for several days. In fact, she remained with him until he sailed away again to India. They went out and visited many big shops together and bought a great many things. They bought, indeed, a great many more things than Sarah needed, but Captain Crewe was a rash, innocent young man and wanted his little girl to have everything she admired and everything he admired himself. So between them, they collected a wardrobe much too grand for a child of seven. There were velvet dresses trimmed with costly furs and lace dresses and embroidered ones and hats with great soft ostrich feathers and ermine coats and muffs and boxes of tiny gloves and handkerchiefs and silk stockings in such abundant supply that the polite young woman behind the counters whispered to each other that the odd little girl with the big solemn eyes must be at least some foreign princess, perhaps a little daughter of an Indian Raj. And at last they found Emily, but they went to a number of toy shops and looked at great many dolls before they finally discovered her. I want her to look as if she wasn't a doll already, Sarah said. I want her to look as if she listens when I talk to her. The trouble with dolls, Papa, and she put her head onto one side and reflected as if she said, the trouble with dolls is that they never seem to hear. So they looked at big ones and little ones, at dolls with black eyes and dolls with blue, at dolls with brown curls and dolls with golden braids, dolls dressed and dolls undressed. You see, Sarah said when they were examining one who had no clothes, if when I find her she has no frocks, we can take her to a dressmaker and have things made to fit. They will fit better if they're tried on. After a number of disappointments, they decided to walk and look in at the shop windows and let the cab follow them. They had passed two or three places without even going in, when, as they were approaching a shop which was really not a very large one, Sarah suddenly started to clutch her father's arm. Oh, Papa, she cried, there is Emily. A flush had risen to her face and there was an expression in her green-grey eyes as she had just recognised someone she was intimate with and fond of. She is actually waiting for us, she said. Let us go into her. Dear me, said Captain Crewe, I feel as if we ought to have someone to introduce us. You must introduce me and I will introduce you, said Sarah. But I knew her the minute I saw her, so perhaps she knew me too. Perhaps she had known her. She had certainly had a very intelligent expression in her eyes when Sarah took her in her arms. She was a large doll, but not too large to carry about. 
She had naturally curling blonde brown hair which hung like a mantle upon her and her eyes were deep clear grey blue with soft thick lashes which were real lashes and not mere painted lines. Of course, said Sarah looking into her face as she held her on her knee. Of course, Papa, this is Emily. So Emily was bought and actually taken to a children's outfitter's shop and measured for a wardrobe as grand as Sarah's own. She had lace frocks too and velvet and muslin ones and hats and coats and beautiful lace trimmed underclothes and gloves and handkerchiefs and furs. I should like her always to look as if she were a child with a good mother, said Sarah. I'm her mother, though I'm not going to make a companion of her. Mr. Crewe would really have enjoyed the shopping tremendously, but that a sad thought kept tugging at his heart. This all meant that he was going to be separated from his beloved little girl. He got out of his bed in the middle of that night and went and stood down looking at Sarah, who lay asleep with Emily in her arms. Her black hair was spread out on the pillow and Emily's golden brown hair mingled with it. Both of them had lace ruffled nightgowns and both had long eyelashes which lay and curled up on their cheeks. Emily looked so like a real child that Captain Crewe felt glad she was there. He drew a big sigh and pulled his moustache with a boyish expression. Hi ho little Sarah, he said to himself. I don't believe you know how much your daddy will miss you. The next day he took her to Miss Minchin's and left her there. He was to sail away the next morning. He explained to Miss Minchin that his solicitors, Messrs Barrow and Skipworth, had charge of his affairs in England and would give her any advice she wanted and that they would pay the bills she sent in for Sarah's expenses. He would write to Sarah twice a week and she was to be given every pleasure she asked for. She is a sensible little thing and she never wants anything that isn't safe to give her, he said. Then he went with Sarah into her little sitting room and they bade each other goodbye. Sarah sat on his knee and held the lapels of his coat in her small hands and looked long and hard into his face. Are you learning me by heart, little Sarah? he said, stroking her hair. No, she answered. I know you by heart. You are inside my heart and they put their arms around each other and kissed as if they would never let each other go. When the cab drove away from the door, Sarah was sitting on the floor of her sitting room with her hands under her chin and her eyes following it until it had turned the corner of the square. Emily was sitting by her and she looked after it too. When Miss Minchin sent her sister, Miss Amelia, to see what the child was doing, she found she could not open the door. I have locked it said a little polite voice from inside. I want to be quiet by myself, if you please. Miss Amelia was a fat and dumpy thing and stood very much in awe of her sister. She was really the better natured person of the two, but she never dissipated Miss Minchin. She went downstairs again, looking almost alarmed. I never saw such a funny old fashioned child, sister, she said. She has locked herself in and she's not making the least particle of noise. Well, it is much better than if she kicked and screamed, at some, as some of them do, Miss Minchin answered. I expect that a child as much spoiled as she is, would would settle the whole house in an uproar. If ever a child was given her own way in everything, she is. I've been opening her trunks and putting her things away, said Miss Amelia. I never saw anything like them. Sable and ermine on her coats and real Valencian lace on her underclothing. 
Have you have seen some of her clothes? What do you think of them? Well, I think they're perfectly ridiculous, replied Miss Minchin sharply. But they will look very well at the head of the line when we take the school children to church on Sunday. She has been provided for as if she were a little princess. And upstairs in the locked room, Sarah and Emily sat on the floor and stared at the corner round which the cupboard disappeared, while Captain Crewe looked backwards, waving and kissing his hand as if he could not bear to stop. And that is the end of chapter one. Hello friends and welcome to Bedtime Stories with Christine. Tonight we're reading a chapter two of A Little Princess, a French lesson. When Sarah entered the schoolroom the next morning, everybody looked at her with wide, interested eyes. By that time, every pupil from Lavinia Herbert, who was nearly 13 and felt quite grown up, to Lottie Lay, who was only just four and the baby of the school, had heard a great deal about her. They knew very certainly that she was Miss Minchin's show pupil and was considered a credit to the establishment. One or two of them had even caught a glimpse of her French maid, Mariette, who had arrived the evening before. Lavinia had managed to pass Sarah's room when the door was open and had seen Mariette open a box which she had arrived late from some shop. It was full of petticoats with lace frills on them. Frills and frills, she whispered to her friend Jessie as she bent over her geography. I saw her shaking them out. I heard Miss Minchin say to Miss Amelia that her clothes were so grand that they were ridiculous for a child. My mamma says that children should be dressed simply. She has got one of those petticoats on now. I saw it when she sat down. She has silk stockings on, whispered Jessie, bending over her geography also. And what little feet! I never saw such little feet. Oh, sniffed Lavinia, spitefully. That is the way her slippers are made. My mamma says that even big feet can be made to look small if you have a clever shoemaker. I don't think she's pretty at all. Her eyes are such a queer colour. She isn't pretty as other pretty people are, said Jessie, stealing a glance across the room. But she makes you want to look at her again. She has tremendously long eyelashes, but her eyes are almost green. Sarah was sitting quietly in her seat, waiting to be told what to do. She had been placed near Miss Minchin's desk. She was not abashed at all by the many pairs of eyes watching her. She was interested and looked back quietly at the children who looked at her. She wondered what they were thinking of, and if they liked Miss Minchin, and if they cared for their lessons, and if any of them had a papa at all like her own. She had had a long talk with Emily about her papa that morning. He's on the sea now, Emily, she said. We must be very great friends to each other and tell each other things. Emily, look at me. You have the nicest eyes I ever saw, but I wish you could talk. She was a child full of imaginings and whimsical thoughts, and one of her fancies was that there would be a great deal of comfort in even pretending that Emily was alive and really heard and understood. After Mariette had dressed her in her dark blue schoolroom frock, and tied her hair with a dark blue ribbon, she went to Emily, who sat in a chair of her own and gave her a book. You can read that while I'm downstairs, she said. And seeing Mariette look at her curiously, she spoke to her with a serious little face. What I believe about dolls, she said, is that they can do things they will not let us know about. 
Perhaps really Emily can read and talk and walk, but she will only do it when people are out of the room. That is her secret. You see, if people knew that dolls could do things, they would make them work. So, perhaps, they have promised each other to keep it a secret. If you stay in the room, Emily will just sit there and stare. But if you go out, she will begin to read, perhaps, or go and look out the window. Then if she heard either of us coming, she would just run back and jump into her chair and pretend she had been there all along. Deary me, Marriott thought to herself. And when she went downstairs, she told the head housemaid about it. But she had already begun to like this odd little girl who had such an intelligent small face and such perfect manners. She'd taken care of children before who were not so polite. Sarah was a very fine little person and had a gentle, appreciative way of saying, if you please, Mariette, thank you, Mariette, which was very charming. Mariette told the head housemaid that she thanked her as if she was thanking a lady. Indeed, she was very much pleased with her new little mistress and liked her place greatly. After Sarah had sat in her seat in the schoolroom for a few minutes, she began looking by at the pupils, Miss Minchin wrapped in a dignified manner upon her desk. Young ladies, she said, I wish to introduce you to your new companion. All the little girls rose in their place and Sarah rose also. I shall expect you all to be very agreeable to Miss Crewe, she has just come to us from a great distance, in fact, from India. As soon as lessons are over, you must make each other's acquaintances. The pupils bowed ceremoniously and Sarah made a little curtsy and then they sat down and looked at each other again. Sarah, said Miss Minchin in her schoolroom manner, come here to me. She had taken a book from the desk and was turning over its leaves. Sarah went to her politely. As your papa has engaged a French maid for you, she began, I conclude that he wishes you to make a special study of the French language. Sarah felt a little awkward. I think he engaged her, he said, she said, because he, he thought I would like her, Miss Minchin. I am afraid, says Miss Minchin, with a slightly sour smile, that you have been a very spoiled little girl and always imagine that things are done because you like them. My impression is that your papa wishes you to learn French. If Sarah had been older... She, or less polite to people, she could have explained herself in very few words. But as it was, she felt a flush rising on her cheeks. Miss Minchin was a very severe and imposing person, and she seemed so absolutely sure that Sarah knew nothing whatsoever of French, and that she felt that if she would be almost rude to correct her. The truth was that Sarah could not remember the time when she had not seemed to know French. Her father had often spoken it to her when she had been a baby. Her mother had been French a woman, and Captain Crewe had loved her language, so it happened that Sarah had always heard and been familiar with it. I, I, I have never really learned French, but, but, she began, trying shyly to make herself clear. One of Miss Minchin's chief secret annoyances was, she, was that she did not speak French herself, and was desirous of concealing the irritating fact. She therefore had no intention of discussing the matter and laying herself open to innocent questioning by a new little pupil. That is enough, she said with polite tartness. If you have not learned, then you must begin at once. The French master, Monsieur Defarge, will be here in a few minutes. Take this book and look at it until he arrives. Sarah's cheeks felt warm. She went back to her seat and opened the book. She looked at the first page with grave face. She knew it would be rude to smile and she was very determined not to be rude. 
that it was very odd to find herself expected to study a page which told her that Le Pierre meant the father and La Mère meant the mother. Miss Minchin glanced towards her scrutinily. You look rather cross, Sarah, she said. I am sorry you do not like the idea of learning French. I'm very fond of it, answered Sarah, thinking she would try again. But you must not say but when you are told to do things, said Miss Minchin. Look at your book again. And Sarah did so and did not smile, even when she found that Lefi means the son and Lefre means the brother. When Monsieur Defarge comes, she thought, I, I can make him understand. Monsieur Defarge arrived very shortly afterwards. He was a very nice, intelligent, middle-aged Frenchman, and he looked interested when his eyes fell upon Sarah, trying politely to seem absorbed in her little book of phrases. Is this a new pupil for me, madame? he said to Miss Minchin. I hope that it is my good fortune. Her papa, Captain Crewe, is very anxious that she should begin the language, but I am afraid she has a childish prejudice against it. She does not seem to wish to learn, said Miss Minchin. Well, I am sorry of that, mademoiselle, he said kindly to Sarah. Perhaps when we begin to study together, I may show you that it is a charming tongue. Little Sarah rose in her seat. She was beginning to feel rather desperate, as... As if she was almost in disgrace, she looked up into Monsieur Defarge's face with her big green-grey eyes and they were quite innocently appealing. She knew that he would understand as soon as she spoke. She began to explain quite simply in pretty and fluent French. Madame had not understood. She had not learned French exactly, not out of books, but her papa and other people had always spoken it to her and she had read it and written it as if, she, as if she had read and written English. Her papa loved it and she loved it because he did. Her dear mamma, who had died when she was born, had been French. She would be glad to learn anything Monsieur would teach her, but what she had tried to explain to Madame was that she already knew the words in this book and she held out the little book of phrases. When she began to speak, Miss Minchin stared quite violently and sat staring at her over her eyeglasses almost indignantly until she had finished. Monsieur Defarge began to smile, and his smile was one of great pleasure. To hear this pretty childish voice speaking his own language so simply and charmingly made him feel almost as if he were in his own native land, which in dark foggy days in London sometimes seemed worlds away. When she had finished, he took the phrase book from her with an almost affection, but he spoke to Miss Minchin. Ah, madame, he said, there is not much I can teach her. She has not learned French. She is French. Her accent is exquisite. You ought to have told me, exclaimed Miss Minchin, much mortified, turning to Sarah. I, I tried, said Sarah. I, I suppose I did not begin right. Miss Minchin knew she had tried and that it had not been her fault that she was not allowed to explain. And when she saw that the pupils had been listening and that Lavinia and Jessie were giggling behind their French grammars, she felt infuriated. Silence, young lady, she said severely, rapping upon the desk. Silence at once. And she began from that minute to feel a rather grudge against her show pupil. And that's the end of the stories for tonight. See you next time.